guys, and welcome to the Moms and Mysteries podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hey, baby girl. <laughs> my son started doing that. He grabs my chin and he oh. says that, and it cracks me up so much. <laughs> I feel like it would be much cuter coming from him. But Wait, I, I was adorable. I was you were so adorable. adorable. You were. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. Yes, no, no, no. Guard. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Mandy, how are you? I'm doing all right. Yeah? Okay. Yeah, I'm doing good. good. I mean, mostly good. You know, it's the end of the year. It's flying by. It's you New keep doing this to us. You <laughs> keep you keep bringing the rest of us into the depths of your despair with the calendar. And I'd appreciate you not doing that anymore. I know. I know. It really is wild to think that we're approaching the end of October. It's almost Halloween, which everybody knows I love. And I don't even really have anything super exciting planned, which is like, also crazy to me. I know. It's just that the time has gotten away from me. Okay. Even though you have been reminding both yourself and us for months, it's just It's true. It's true. I keep saying like, oh, we still have x amount of days 10 days you know 15 days or whatever yeah. and then i don't know what happens i just go to sleep once and wake up and somehow we've gone through an entire week so <laughs> that's how it's been going fair enough fair <laughs> enough i get that yeah we are terrible at promoting ourselves you know asking for things since anything day like that. one since day one and somehow <laughs> i think we've gotten worse So this is going to be new for us. Real quick, if you've ever reviewed our show or uh, if you haven't reviewed our show, we'd love it if you reviewed us. Mandy will read them. She'll tell me the ones that are nice. It works really good that way. (laughs) Maybe. Sometimes I, especially when we like mention that we have the option to get reviews, then I won't read them for a while because I'm like, oh gosh. (laughs) Oh no. Okay. So I guess scratch that. Leave a review. We'll see them eventually. It would be really nice and it helps out the show. Um, Of course, we have Patreon, patreon.com slash moms and mysteries podcast if you're looking for ad-free early release episodes. And I think I did the math the other day, but I forgot. But there's like Oh, gosh, I did it again. 12 times five. Let's say over 60 bonus episodes plus all the ad-free. I thought it would be more than that. but um, Me too. But only 12 a year, right? Yeah. Um, scratch that. Forget that. It's a lot. It's so it's too <laughs> much if you ask me. But then there's other perks and stuff there if you want to get that. Or Apple Podcasts, they have a subscription thing. Anyway, just trying to make it easy for you to listen. If you don't want to hear ads, that's the way to do it. Mandy, I am looking forward to getting into this week's episode. It feels like it's been a while since we've recorded. Maybe it hasn't been. I don't think it's been. Well, Has a lot of life happened between Maybe we recorded early last week and we're recording a little bit late this week. So it feels like it's been a little bit of a stretch in between. We we sure don't know how calendars work, but you're closer than I am. Good job. Yeah, we sure don't. All right. So we'll get into the story for this week. On April 30th, at approximately 4 a.m., police received a call regarding a fire and a potential shooting incident at the home of Kansas police officer Brett Seacat. The fire had already engulfed the second floor of the house. When officers arrived, Brett Seacat was found in the backyard near the driveway dressed only in pants. And this is a detail that will be important later on. Brett was asked if anyone was still inside the residence, and he said that his wife, Vashti, was still inside. Furthermore, he told authorities that Vashti had just shot herself in the head before the fire broke out. Soon, the fire department arrived, and they were able to successfully extinguish the flames. In the aftermath, Vashti Seacat's lifeless body was discovered on a bed in an upstairs bedroom. Her remains were concealed beneath a charred blanket, and an investigator located a Ruger Red Hawk 44 caliber revolver positioned on the bed beneath Vashti's body with the gun's barrel pointing downwards towards her legs. A five-gallon gasoline container was also lying in the middle of the bed. The coroner's examination determined that Vashti had died of a gunshot wound at the back of her neck just below her ear. Additional gunshot injuries were identified on her torso, hip, and thigh, but these were consistent with rounds being discharged from the firearm due to the heat from the fire, not actually being fired by a person. 
Notably, blood and lung tests yielded negative results for smoke inhalation with an absence of soot in her lungs, which indicated that Vashti was dead before the fire started. Furthermore, both blood and urine tests revealed negative findings for alcohol and a wide range of other drugs. Ultimately, the coroner could not come to a conclusive determination about the nature of Vashti's death due to the extensive damage done to her body in the fire. Vashti Forrest was born on March 21, 1977, and she was the youngest of her four siblings. She grew up in the super small towns of southern Kansas called Argonia and Harper. Vashti went to Wichita State University, and she was known for being both kind and smart. In 2004, she married Brett Seacat, who was born on March 3, 1976. The couple were high school sweethearts, and they eventually settled in Kingman, Kansas, a small town with around 3,000 people. At the time of Vashti's murder, she was working in the HR department at Cox Communications, while Brett served as a police instructor at the Kansas Law Enforcement Training Center. Brett had previously worked for the Sedgwick County Sheriff's Department, but he didn't have the best reputation. Brett's history included allegations of excessive force during his time as an officer, according to the Wichita Eagle. In a 2002 lawsuit, Brett was accused of slamming a man named John Myers, who was 50 years old, against a concrete wall near the booking desk at the Sedgwick County Jail. This led to skull fractures as well as brain damage. John passed away just six days later while in jail after his DUI arrest. Although investigations by the district attorney's office and the Kansas Bureau of Investigation cleared Brett of wrongdoing, he left the sheriff's department to work at the training center. That's kind of a wild thing to me. If you were leaving under less than great circumstances, which that doesn't, they cleared him of wrongdoing, but to now be training people yeah, is a little wild to me. I did not think that was how the story would go. Yeah. (laughs) So by April of 2011, 34-year-old Vashti, along with 37-year-old Brett and their two sons, who we're going to call Adam and Derek, that's not their real names, they were living in their Kingman residence. Vashti was dedicated to spending quality time with her children, who were just two years old and four years old at the time. Vashti's sister described her as being a thoughtful and caring parent who prioritized her children's well-being. According to court records, Brett and Vashti's marriage started to show signs of trouble over several years, and it led to them becoming incompatible, according to Vashti herself. While she did not ever disclose any physical violence, it would later become clear that Brett had displayed his fair share of threatening and manipulative behavior. In November of 2010, Brett and Vashti started marriage counseling with Connie Suderman, who was a clinical social worker. She conducted joint sessions with Brett and Vashti together, as well as having individual sessions with just Vashti until the end of April in 2011. She did also have multiple individual sessions with Brett, but it seems like Vashti saw her independently a lot more than he did. As the counseling progressed, Vashti and Brett began actually contemplating the possibility of getting divorced. The counselor noted that when the couple first started coming to counseling, Vashti had many symptoms of depression, but these symptoms had significantly improved over time, and by April of 2011, Vashti reported feeling better than she'd felt in years. Her outlook had become more positive, and she had started to adopt healthier habits like exercise and improving her nutrition. She also made plans to relocate closer to her sister and workplace, and she frequently talked about her love for her sons and her joy in being a mother. During the counseling, Connie directly asked Vashti about the possibility of suicide, and Vashti specifically said that she would never take her own life, and she said her religious beliefs plus her love for her children were her reasons for never even considering it. Vashti also conveyed to the counselor that Brett was not handling the idea of getting divorced very well, and he had even made threats of harm, including that he had threatened to take her life if she were to leave him. In individual counseling sessions, Brett informed the counselor that if Vashti did pursue a divorce, he would ensure that she never saw the children again, even if it meant he had to take them out of the country, which is crazy that he's openly saying this to the marriage counselor. Yeah, I figured that's a pretty big note she put in her file that right? day on him. That's wild. 
So in late March, Brett made copies of Vashti's journal, which she kept on the table beside her bed, and he later claimed that she had asked him to make an electronic version as a keepsake. No. On (laughs) April 19th, Vashti had her last counseling session with her counselor. She told the counselor that Brett woke her up one night and said he had a dream about killing her. And so she was worried about how Brett would react when she asked for a divorce. So they made plans to have others around when she actually served him with the divorce papers. On April 27th, Vashti gave Brett the divorce papers, which said he had to leave the house within 24 hours and he had to start paying $1,281 in child support beginning May 15th. According to Vashi's friend, Brett was surprised, angry, and really sad about this. After serving the papers, Vashti made plans to go on vacation in Mexico with her sister, and she also made plans to see a concert in Wichita, and she made plans to have a girls' night out on April 30th. She also started redecorating her home, and her life seemed to be getting better, and she was happier than she had been in years. Even though she was sad about this divorce, she was looking forward to the future for herself and her children. On the afternoon of April 29th, the day before Vashti was found dead inside of her burning home, Brett was at work at the law enforcement training center. While he was there, he found an overhead projector in storage and used it for approximately an hour, claiming it was for a fraud exercise, although he did not teach fraud-related subjects, so that was definitely unusual. Brett then inquired with maintenance staff about the proper method for disposing of computer hard drives, stating his intention to sell the laptops. Following their advice, he used a torch to destroy the hard drives, discarding their melted remnants in a trash can. Next, Brett decided to dispose of three old cell phones, which he believed had no resale value due to their age and their lack of use. Later in the day, he purchased gasoline from a convenience store, asserting that it was intended for his pickup truck. On that same day, Vashti spoke with her brother Rich, informing him that Brett was finding it challenging to cope with the impending divorce and was really pleading with her to reconsider. Little did Vashti's family know, she would be found dead in the early hours of the very next morning. And we still have so much more to get into after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. When's the last time you ordered something and didn't get it within a couple of days? It's been a while, right? We're all so conditioned now to get things right away, and I'm right there with you. But when it comes to scheduling healthcare appointments, it feels like we're still in the dark ages with waiting times from weeks to months. ZocDoc gets that and has revolutionized the way we schedule appointments and how quick and easy it is. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated, patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. With ZocDoc, you can find a great doctor in between 24 to 48 hours. That's it. And there are times you can even get appointments the very same day. One of my very favorite things about ZocDoc is that I can do all of the scheduling right online. There's no more calling and spilling your whole medical history only to be hold, only to be told, can you please hold? And then regretting all of your life choices while you sit and wait in silence. Or is that just me? ZocDoc also has verified reviews from real people, not bots, so you can feel good about seeing a new doctor even when the reason you're seeing them kind of stinks. I've used ZocDoc a few times now, and I think you'd like it as well. Go to ZocDoc.com mysteries and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash mysteries. ZocDoc.com slash mysteries. There's nothing like walking into your house after a long day and having your favorite furry friend greet you. There's something so special about our pets, which is why we believe in treating them well. And we love to do that with Nom Nom. Nom Nom is fresh dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs. None of this one-size-fits-all food for your favorite pup. Nom Nom is made with real whole food that you can even see and recognize and made with zero additives or fillers that can cause things like bloating and low energy. My dog Remy loves Nom Nom. You can just say the words Nom Nom and he runs right to his bowl. 
Right now, his favorite meal is the chicken cuisine, which has chicken, spinach, sweet potatoes, and squash. And I don't blame him for liking that. That combination of foods even I would enjoy. I really love that Nom Nom uses the latest science and insight to make real good food for real good boys and real good girls. After starting Remy on Nom Nom, I've noticed he has much more energy and can take longer walks with me, which was a struggle before Nom Nom when I was feeding him whatever dog food was actually on sale that week. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynom.com slash moms. Spelled trynom.com slash moms for 50% off. trynom.com slash moms. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were discussing the death of Vashti Forrest or Vashti Seacat. Um, she was married to a police officer named Brett Seacat, and he dialed 911 after their home caught on fire, and he told the police that his wife Vashti had shot herself inside the home shortly before the fire actually broke out. When authorities responded to the 911 call reporting the fire, it was about 4 a.m. on April the 30th and things started looking pretty suspicious right off the bat. A five-gallon gas can lying in the middle of the bed helped to explain the fire, but it did little to explain why Vashti had been shot beforehand. An investigating special agent later determined from the burn patterns and the different kinds of damage that the fire had actually started in the hallway and moved from south to north into the bedroom. When searching through the house, investigators found a printed PowerPoint presentation that included information about suicide wounds and death investigations, specifically death investigations involving fires. And this printout was actually soaked in water when they found it. One of the pages was actually talking specifically about how investigators distinguish between homicides and suicides. And on another page, there was a list of reasons for suicides, including severe marital strife, recent emotionally damaging experiences, financial difficulties, humiliation, and even revenge. Inside Vashti's purse, police found a list of financial-related figures, including funeral expenses and numbers regarding life insurance. On the morning of the fire and of Vashti's death, Brett was brought in for an interview. According to reports from the Wichita Eagle, Brett mentioned that Vashti had been struggling with depression, and he recounted an incident where she had once asked him, um, after watching an episode of the TV show called Castle, she allegedly asked him whether a forty-four caliber gun would be suitable for suicide. Brett told investigators that on the night of Vashti's death, he had been sleeping on the couch, and he got a phone call from her who was apparently sleeping upstairs in the bedroom. In this phone call, she allegedly told him that if he wished to see their sons, he should come and get them. He claimed that he then heard a noise from upstairs followed by a loud explosion, and he hurried to the master bedroom where he saw that the bed and the floor were on fire and Vashti was lying lifeless on the bed. Brett said he attempted to lift her, but he found her unresponsive and he noticed blood on the mattress. He said that he then went to rescue the kids and get them outside to safety, and by the time he did that, the fire had engulfed too much of the house for him to go back inside and try to get Vashti. Brett's story did have some inconsistencies, though. For example, he didn't have any blood or soot on himself or on his pants, and he only had a minor burn on his foot. If he had indeed gone through this fire to get to Vashti, who was on the bed and made attempts to move her, it would be expected that he would have sustained more injuries or at least displayed evidence of blood and soot transferring to his own clothing. During the investigation, a handwritten note was discovered on Brett's person. The note featured a numbered list with entries such as, Calm, died, accident. There was also the phrase, her parents, written on the note, and another part of a sentence that just said, everything that the truth, and then he also wrote, no suicide, and there were three telephone numbers written there. Officers conducted interviews with neighbors during their investigation. One of the neighbors reported being awake at around 3 a.m. on the morning of the fire due to difficulty sleeping. While watching TV, the neighbor heard a sound resembling a gunshot, which made them feel afraid. The neighbor covered their head until the emergency vehicles arrived. 
Investigators determined that the gunshot-like sound occurred at 3.15 a.m., contradicting Brett's earlier claim that it happened at 4. Two days after the fire, Vashti's journal was discovered in her car. The last page of this journal contained a handwritten message addressed to Brett. It said, quote, Brett, I can't do this. I can't fight this out. Take care of our boys. Be sweet to Adam. Talk to Derek. Hold them both and tell them mommy loves them every night. I'm taking care of the house. She also wrote, Adam, you are so wonderful. Mommy is so proud of you. Be a good big brother. And the journal went on to say, Derek, stay strong and don't ever lose that smile. I love the two of you and will be watching over you from heaven. Dennis McPhail, who is a certified forensic document examiner from the Kansas Bureau of Investigation, scrutinized this journal entry. He identified several discrepancies in the handwriting on the last page, suggesting that it had been traced from other examples of Vashti's handwriting. These inconsistencies included shaky writing, smudging, and alterations to certain letters, which sharply contrasted with the consistent and fluid writing present in Vashti's known handwriting samples. McPhail also pointed out differences in the formation of the lowercase letter D compared to Vashi's typical handwriting. These findings led him to conclude that the suicide note was likely a traced and fraudulent document. On May 5th, neighbors held a vigil across the street from the Seacat home. Brett was there, but he didn't stand with Vashti's family or her loved ones. He did offer a quote for the Wichita Eagle, saying that Vashti was a very kind person, a terrific mother, and despite their marital problems, she was a good wife. He said his family was heartbroken over her loss. He also said the vigil gave his boys a chance to see how much everybody loved their mom, but he didn't want his kids to, quote, see their dad lynch either, end quote. The more interviews the investigators had with Vashti's co-workers, her family, and friends, the more they started to really understand that she had actually been truly afraid of her husband, Brett. Multiple people told police that Vashti had confided in them about her fears that Brett was going to kill her. A couple of weeks before her death, she asked one of her co-workers whether they thought Brett would burn their house down with her inside of it. Another co-worker said that Vashti told him about various threats Brett had made against her, including threatening to kill her, to take their kids, to burn down the house, and to make her death look like a suicide, all of which Brett said he could get away with because he himself was in law enforcement and he knew that the firefighters were, quote, idiots. Oh, yeah. So the same co-worker also said that Brett woke Vashti up one night and told her that he was having these recurring dreams about killing her. Another one of Vashti's friends also mentioned the threat that Brett would burn down the house and would make Vashti's death look like a suicide. And this friend also substantiated the claim that Brett was having dreams about murdering his wife. Vashti's sister, Kathleen, who she was extremely close with, Kathleen was actually the one who loaned her the money to get the divorce from Brett, said that Vashti had been romantically involved with a friend of hers and had been worried that Brett was going to find out about it. The counselor who saw the couple before Vashti decided to get divorced told investigators about things Vashti had said during their therapy sessions, including mentioning Brett's dreams about killing her, as well as threats to kill her if she ever cheated on him. Shockingly, the counselor also said that Brett called her just hours after Vashti's death and said, quote, I killed her. Vashti is dead and it's my fault. That's wild to me that one of the first calls on the first day your wife is dead is to call her counselor. I know he saw her too, but still of all the things going on that day to make that call makes no yeah. sense to me. Yeah. So investigators also spoke with Brett's coworkers as well as his friends and family. A coworker told them that Brett had come into the office a few days after Vashti's death and said he owed two officials an explanation about what was going on. He explained that Vashi had filed for divorce and they had been in discussions about how to proceed with the divorce without going to court. During this time, Brett was still living in the house. According to Brett, on the morning of the 29th, Vashti kissed him unexpectedly. But later on that evening, the couple had an argument about the custody of the kids. Brett told her that if she didn't agree to his terms, he would take the kids and she would never see them again. This upset Vashti, rightfully so, and Brett ended up sleeping on the couch downstairs that night. 
Brett told his coworker that Vashti called his cell phone around 3 a.m., but he didn't know where she was actually calling him from. She told him that if he wanted to see the boys again, he should come get them. Brett said he then heard a noise and an explosion from upstairs, and he rushed to the primary bedroom where he found the bed and floor on fire and Vashti lying lifeless on the bed with blood on the mattress. He said he quickly took the kids outside and tried to return to the master bedroom, but at that point, the fire was too bad. The employees at the daycare center where the kids went told police that Brett called on May 2nd and said he wanted to explain what happened before they heard any rumors. So he goes down to the daycare to talk to them in person and told them that Vashi had died by suicide and that there was a fire at their home. He told them that Vashi had been going to counseling and that she was deeply depressed, but the daycare workers felt like this didn't really match what they had seen of Vashi and her state of mind the day before her death or really ever. They said she was always happy and didn't seem depressed. Which we know that that's not always the case. People can right. mask and hide stuff, but and it's especially just a- from like the people who work at your children's daycare, like I feel right. like those are people that you wouldn't necessarily expect to um, notice Share your life like, story. Exactly. And- yeah. Mm-hmm. So Brett also casually mentioned that he wouldn't be getting any of the life insurance or home insurance since she had taken her own life and then set the house on fire. Very weird thing to say to your daycare uh, friends. So according to employees, Brett would get choked up talking about his sons, but showed no emotion when talking about Vashti, and he never said her name. He only referred to her as she or her. Police looked into phone records and saw that Vashti's phone did call Brett at 3.51 a.m. However, based on the neighbor's previous statement about hearing that gunshot at around 3.15 a.m., the police now believe that Brett was the one who really made the call to support his alibi. And being in the same house, that is kind of wild. You know, like a lot of times in these stories, we hear like we're able to track the, you know, phone towers and stuff. This is all in the same house. So really without this neighbor, they would have no idea if this was a true call or not. So police further learned that Brett purchased software to track Vashti's text messages as well as her GPS location. After discovering all of this information, the police now believed that Vashti did not take her own life. Instead, they believed that Brett had killed her and staged it to look like a suicide. The police's theory was that Brett was unwilling to accept that divorce was the way his marriage was going to end. So he planned the murder out using an overhead projector at work to project Vashti's handwriting from her journal and trace the letters to compose a fake suicide note. When it appeared to him that she was actually going to go through with the divorce, he shot her in her sleep doused the hallway and bedroom with gasoline, placed a call from her phone to his phone, and then lit the fire. On May 12th, Brett underwent a seven-hour interview with the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Brett said that he was scared about the investigation, but he acknowledged that it was a necessity. He consistently denied any involvement in his wife's death and in the house fire, but he said that he did recognize why the investigators found his behavior suspicious. During the interview, Brett provided a detailed account of the events on the night of his wife's death. He showed really minimal emotion and occasionally engaged in lighthearted interactions with the agents who were interrogating him, but he appeared to be panicked anytime he was actually confronted with specific details about the investigation. Brett told the agents that he wanted to work on his marriage for another three to six more months, even though these divorce papers they found showed that he was supposed to vacate their home. He said that Vashti had been allowing him to stay, and he explained that she didn't want to fight him, but he was willing to fight for their marriage. Agents confronted Brett with evidence suggesting that the fire had been deliberately set with gasoline in multiple locations on the second floor of the house, and they found it really implausible that Vashti would intentionally endanger her young children by calling Brett and then by taking her own life in the burning bedroom. Brett actually agreed with them and said that they were right. None of this made any sense at all. 
He did admit to practicing forgery at his office and destroying hard drives the day before Vashti's death, but he denied forging the suicide note that was found in her car, even though an expert had already weighed in and said that it was indeed a forged uh, piece of paper. Why would you admit to doing any Any forgery the day before? Right. They're going to put that like that's such a wild thing to admit and then be right, like, like Don't what know. a coincidence. <laughs> yeah, that is the wildest coincidence of all. Yeah. So he acknowledged purchasing software to track his wife's text messages and GPS locations, but he insisted that he never stalked her and he never actually installed any of the software on any of her devices. So just in case he purchased these things for later. He says he never actually used them. My gosh. When agents suggested that he was, you know, still in love with Vashti and he knew she was planning to leave him and possibly that was the motive for this entire thing, Brett responded by saying that if he had wanted to harm his wife, he would have devised a much more logical plan to do so. He said that the circumstances of her death and this fire were all just crazy and there's no way that if he was behind it, this isn't the way he would do it. Oh, because he's a genius. I forgot. Right. He's a mastermind, right? Oh, my gosh. So on May 13th, the state formally charged Brett with one count of premeditated first-degree murder, one count of aggravated arson, and two counts of aggravated endangering a child. The latter charges were based on the presence of the couple's two sons being in the house during this fire incident. Brett entered a plea of not guilty, consistently maintaining that Vashti's death was a suicide. He was detained with a bond set at $1 million, which he did not post. Over the next two years, Brett prepared for his impending trial. In an effort to support his claim that Vashti's death was a suicide, Brett planned to testify that she had previously attempted or contemplated suicide on five occasions between the ages of 3 and 18 years old. But the state filed a pre-trial motion to have this testimony excluded. Ultimately, the judge ruled against allowing this testimony at trial, citing the lack of independent verification or objective proof of these past incidents. Even if they were genuine, the judge deemed them way too long ago to be relevant to Brett's defense. Brett also hoped the present evidence that Vashti may have been taking the hormone HCG, which does have a side effect of depression. The defense's theory was that Vashti was depressed and died by suicide. The introduction of this evidence was intended to strengthen Brett's case by suggesting to the jury that her use of the hormone could have contributed to her depression. The evidence was allowed to be presented at the trial. Lastly, Brett wanted to testify that Vashti frequently used marijuana to cope with her depression, but the state argued that this shouldn't be allowed in the trial either. And that's because blood tests confirmed that there was no marijuana present in Vashti's system. The judge agreed that this was irrelevant and didn't belong in the trial. In the end, though, the defense focused on the two notes that were allegedly written by Vashti, and that's the suicide note and the list of financial figures regarding funeral expenses and life insurance, as well as her history of depression and use of the hormone HCG, and the coroner's inability to determine her manner of death. And we still have more to get into after one last break to hear word from this week's sponsors. Nothing annoys me more than an uncomfortable bra. Actually, that's not entirely true. People that offer me Diet Pepsi in place of Diet Coke is really up there on my list of annoyances, but really an uncomfortable bra may actually beat that. Thankfully, Honey Love has revolutionized the bra game. There's no need to deal with those bras with uncomfortable underwire or bulky fabrics that cause your chest area to feel like it's in a sauna. And that's because Honey Love has none of those things, but instead has features like supportive bonding, which means you need zero underwire, but you still have a nice lift. Plus, their fabric is buttery smooth. As a wears my bra 24-7 kind of gal myself, I absolutely love my Honey Love bra. It truly feels like I'm not even wearing a bra, which is really the biggest compliment I could ever give a bra. I recently got Honey Love's best-selling crossover bra, and it's my new go-to. And for those of us that like to have the more relaxed lounge bra, check out their V-bra. It's the same support of a traditional bra, but with zero underwire, all while being designed to lift and separate without that weird uniboob thing that some other bras can leave you with. 
Treat yourself to the best bras on the market and save 20% off at honeylove.com slash moms20. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off, honeylove.com slash moms20. After you purchase, they ask where you heard about them. Please support our show and tell them we sent you. It's time to ditch the underwire for good, thanks to Honeylove. Talking about tough things isn't anyone's cup of tea, which is why when it comes to conversations around things like wills and estate plans, it can feel a little too big to take on. But that doesn't mean they aren't important. In fact, they are really important and not things to be ignored. Thanks to this week's sponsor, Trust and Will, you can protect your legacy from the comfort of your home and starting at just $159. A friend of mine recently lost her mom and watching what she's gone through to settle her estate has been nothing short of a nightmare. Her mom unfortunately didn't have a will and she's had to fight every step of the way to get things settled. And that's all on top of grieving the loss of her mom. And while death is a part of life, we don't like to think about it. But having your end-of-life plans all laid out in an easy-to-understand way is really an amazing gift you can give to your loved ones long after you're gone. I created a trust a few years ago with Trust and Will. The site is extremely simple to navigate, and it's completely personalized to you and what you want to happen in the future. Whether it's who would get custody of my kids, if God forbid something happened to myself or my husband, even things like what I'd want for my final arrangements, as well as power of attorney. Don't wait until it's too late to look after your family after you're gone. Gain peace of mind today with Trust and Will. Get 10% off plus free shipping of your estate plan documents by visiting trustandwill.com slash moms. That's 10% off and free shipping at trustandwill.com slash moms. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were getting into a lot of details about the death of Vashti Forrest and the possibility that her husband, Brett Seacat, may have had involvement. So Brett has actually been accused of her murder and of setting a fire to the couple's home, and he is now going to be going to trial. The trial began in May of 2013. The state argued that Brett had meticulously planned Vashti's murder following her filing for divorce. They said that he had forged a suicide note and destroyed evidence just before her death, and then Brett allegedly committed the murder and attempted to conceal the crime. According to the state, Vashti was in good spirits and was eager to start a new life after her marriage, but Brett adamantly refused to accept the divorce. He repeatedly threatened Vashti, and he warned her of his intent to end her life and set their house on fire, as well as to manipulate the investigators into believing that she had died by suicide. He also stated that he would leverage his background in law enforcement in order to do this. 
The state continued by claiming that Brett had methodically planned the murder. He had used an overhead projector to project Vashti's handwriting from her journal, which allowed him to trace the letters and compose a suicide note. Additionally, he had purchased gasoline after work that day. As the divorce proceedings progressed, Brett started to realize that Vashti was in fact moving forward with her plans to leave him. So as Vashti slept, Brett spread gasoline throughout the hallway and bedroom, shot her, called his phone from hers, and ignited the fire to eliminate evidence. The prosecution emphasized that fire destroys evidence, and nobody would understand this better than a law enforcement officer. Prosecutors called several witnesses who testified about statements that Vashti had made prior to her death, including the statements that she made about Brett threatening to kill her, as well as his dreams about ending her life. The defense theorized that although Vashti may have appeared to be in good spirits, she was secretly concerned about her failing marriage and the uncertainty about the future. She believed that Brett would take the kids from her, so she made up stories about him threatening to kill her so she would have an easier time in court during the divorce proceedings. They also alleged that Vashti was overwhelmed with regret after filing for divorce and she intended to burn the house down with her children in it. They explained that Brett had borrowed Vashti's journal to do her the favor of scanning it. What a gentleman. And that he borrowed the overhead projector to learn more about forgeries for his work at the police academy. They also had a forensic document examiner testify that the journal page in question was written by the same person who wrote the other entries in the journal and said that the tracing was unlikely based on the ink flow is what they called it. Although there were tremors in some of the writing on the pages in question, the expert said this could be due to the writer's mood or tension or even due to medication. Brett testified for an entire day, maintaining a consistent demeanor throughout his testimony. He depicted himself as a devoted husband and father and said he was troubled about his wife's desire for divorce. Despite the judge's ruling against evidence of past suicidal incidents, Brett testified about Vashti's mental state. He recounted the day of her death as a typical morning in which he woke up and got the kids ready for daycare while Vashti got ready for work. He talked about disposing of hard drives that day because he had sold the laptops for money to fund the divorce. After returning home that night, Brett and Vashti argued about custody, during which he threatened to expose her alleged affairs and to publicly share private photos of her. That night, he slept on the couch until he was woken up by Vashti's call. Brett said when he told this therapist, Connie, that he had killed Vashti later that day, he meant that he felt responsible, not that he was the one that pulled the trigger. Brett's attorney asked, quote, why did you tell your therapist that it was your fault? End quote. Brett bowed his head. He choked up and said, quote, because it was. For 19 years, I was the one who protected Vashti, and I finally pushed her into what I was protecting her from. So it was my fault, end quote. On June 11th, after six hours of deliberation, the jury convicted Brett on all counts, first-degree murder, aggravated arson, and two counts of aggravated endangering a child. After the verdict, Vashti's mother shared that the outcome was bittersweet, as they had really known and accepted Brett as part of the family since he was just 16. Vashti's brother Rich found some closure in his sister's name being cleared, but he lamented how Brett had deprived his children of growing up with both of their parents. At the sentencing hearing a few months later, several of Vashti's relatives requested the maximum sentence for Brett, and they described him as arrogant and narcissistic. Rich questioned why Brett had taken his sister's life, and he emphasized that she wouldn't get to have a second chance in society, so therefore neither should he. The defense argued for concurrent sentences, citing Brett's lack of prior criminal history and his years of service as a law enforcement officer. The prosecution countered by highlighting how Brett had actually used his law enforcement experience to stage a crime scene. During a 15-minute speech in court, Brett individually addressed Vashti's relatives. He claimed his innocence and said, quote, I swear to God, I didn't kill your sister. Brett further claimed that some of Vashti's relatives had abused her physically, mentally, and even sexually. 
He mentioned her prior suicide attempts, both before and after their marriage, and he even took responsibility for her suicide, saying that it was his fault. Accusations were made against the judge and Vashti's family, suggesting that they stood to somehow financially benefit from his conviction, and he contended that if Vashti's death were ruled a suicide, they wouldn't receive any money, whereas her murder would actually provide them with financial gain. Brett spoke to the judge directly and said, go ahead and pass a sentence you think will get the big headlines. Go ahead and pass a sentence you think will get you a spot on the Kansas Supreme Court. Dang. Yeah. I don't, does this ever work for anyone who goes in like hard hitting towards the judge in a murder trial? I feel like that's not a good, you shouldn't shouldn't do that. (laughs) No, groveling is what you should be doing if anything else. This is wild. Yeah, and so furthermore, it gets even worse. He told the judge, quote, you are going to hell for what you have done in this case. Wow. Yeah, he said all the evidence that the judge had suppressed um, allegedly would be presented one day and he would end up being free. I pray not. My goodness. At the end of the hearing, the judge said that Brett's allegations that day were, quote, so bizarre, they don't deserve a response. They merely affirmed to me that 12 Kingman County citizens made the appropriate decision in this case. At trial, you made every effort possible to drag her name and her reputation through the mud, end quote. The judge also said, quote, about your being arrogant, controlling, self-centered, and narcissistic, your statement here today confirms that to me, end quote. The judge said it was apparent that Brett thought he was smarter than the police and prosecutors who investigated and prosecuted the case, as well as the 12 jurors who convicted him of murder. The judge said, quote, in the end, we know you weren't smarter than any one of them, end quote. I love that the judge was just like, nope. (laughs) Absolutely not. No, we're not playing this. Yeah, I hope you can take as much as you can dish out. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. The judge said he wasn't going to show Brett any mercy because he didn't show Vashti any. Brett was sentenced to a life sentence without the possibility of parole for 25 years for the murder conviction, a consecutive sentence of 61 months for the aggravated arson conviction, and consecutive sentences of seven months for each of the child endangerment convictions. All of Brett's appeals have been unsuccessful. He is currently incarcerated in an undisclosed out-of-state prison since he was a police officer. And just wanted to add here, if you or someone you know is a victim of domestic violence and needs help, you can call the Nationwide Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 799-7233. You can also chat at the hotline.org or you can text START to 88788. All three of these are 24-7, they're free, and they're confidential. There are also many other resources on the Domestic Violence Hotline website. Mandy, I feel like it's been a while since we've had such a brazen, I don't, I can't say these words on the podcast, so just imagine the words I'm thinking in my head, um, dude, that yeah. just thinks, the judge nailed nailed it, that thinks he's smarter than everyone else, that, you know, him even implying, like, if I was going to do this, don't you think I would have been smarter than this? Like, I'm clearly a genius. Right. Fills me with rage what he did to this woman and their family. Right. And even during his interviews and interrogations, trying to be like buddy-buddy with the agents and just being like, you know, narcissistic is like definitely the word. He's like very full of himself and very convinced that he is above anybody else that could possibly be looking into this case. And he thought he had it all figured out. But Truly, it didn't make any sense. Even from a lay person's perspective, that doesn't make sense that you would that you would take your own life with a gun and then also make it work to where the house was set on fire simultaneously. That that was never going to make any sense or look like she had done both of those things. No, none of it made any sense. And I just feel for her because obviously she didn't want him living in that house. And for whatever reason, he was in that house with her and she she knew that wasn't okay. And she obviously had said enough to other people, telling other people, hey, he's telling me he's having dreams about killing me. That's right. terrifying. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh, this guy. So heartbreaking. For sure. 
Okay, Melissa, would you like to turn the page and lighten the mood a little bit before we end the episode for this week? Yes, let's do it. Okay. We've been talking about Love is Blind season, what is this, five? doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. Maybe it'll be the last season. If the next one is going to be this terrible, I hope this is the last season. (laughs) Okay, so, so far, the only person I know that liked this season is Rebecca um, that I co-host Criminality with. She likes it, and she, I said, you need to look inside because no one else (laughs) feels this way. And she's like, I don't know what it is, but she thought just the Uche... Lydia thing was enough to carry this season it wasn't I didn't think it was I really didn't think it was um so that's it though she doesn't like any of like the the other people she doesn't I mean I think she did like she's she looks for the best in people I don't and so um (laughs) so there are some other positives that she had I didn't see them. Well, lucky for us, Melissa, it's over. Thank God. Thank (laughs) God. It's all over. Yeah, it's over. We've seen the weddings. We talked about that about, and there was only like two of them. So it wasn't even anything very exciting. And now they've released the reunion, which thank goodness they did not try and do live like they did last year because that was like a total crap show. Yeah. Um, So that they just did it normal and released it so I could watch it on my own time. What did you think? What did you think? (laughs) I still don't like Stacey. I know you were kind of her. I just, you were going for her in the beginning. I don't know about her. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot of, there's a lot of things. And when Johnny came out, it seemed very, um, she still seemed angry at Johnny and I just did not understand that. Well, that was kind of it. She was so petty about everything. And like, honestly, one of the funniest parts of that reunion to me was when Johnny and Chris were like having a side conversation while Stacy was like going off about the reasons mm-hmm. she doesn't like Johnny or whatever. <laughs> I was cracking up laughing because they were like talking. And at one point, um, Johnny said, or somebody said, I didn't catch what she said. Or, and Johnny was like, it doesn't matter. Like, it know? really doesn't. <laughs> it really doesn't. Like, after we get off the stage, like, literally, we'll never talk to this, these people again. Yeah. You know, so it doesn't really matter. But, um, it was the reunion was the reunion. I felt like Vanessa was Vanessa. And of course, she didn't ask one thing about babies, which tells me she was on the internet and she saw that people were freaked out by how much she asked people about having the first right. love is blind baby. Ew. Yeah, it's a little creepy. It's like the aunt at like Thanksgiving that's like, when are you going to start a family? And you're like, Please Mandy, leave me alone. <laughs> I read it as in my brain as A N T, and I was like an ant like crawling across Thanksgiving. <laughs> Which, honestly, Vanessa Lachey, I mean, it wasn't too far of a stretch for me. Yeah. (laughs) No, I – Milton and Lydia, I'm actually very cheering for them now. Like, I'm fine with their whole thing, right? Like, I wasn't really into it, and now I'm like, okay, it works for them. I'm fine with it, I guess. Like, they – at the reunion, they definitely seemed like they – were happy and like but like um they seem like they were very into each other but in the way that is like annoying to the rest of so us to annoying. watch like you're just mm-hmm. like whatever like we get it you're Calm in love. Down, you fight <laughs> you and you've like they've alluded to several fights she's like sometimes in the morning i'm mad at him and then in the evening or i call his mom when i'm mad i'm like that feels like you're doing that a lot if those are all your examples right. ma'am. <laughs> yeah we yeah. didn't really get any big uh, revelations it wasn't a year and a half ago which i didn't realize it was that far removed that that uh, season had been filmed but we did learn that johnny and chris had been back together and then he cheated on her which was shocking i thought was it i thought it was shocking but then also and like i say this as someone who is a fan of johnny because i think she's a very sweet girl i do think she like deserves to be happy i think she deserves to find someone but I kind of thought it was like a goes around comes around thing a little bit in her situation. Like, I feel bad saying that because like, I feel like that's kind of ugly to be like, oh, you deserve like you got what you deserve. Like, I don't mean it like that, like to be like mean, but like, truly, she like, kind of really didn't give Chris like a good chance. I felt like, you know, she kind of like ditched him for Izzy in the pods and like didn't have really a ton of remorse about it at first. And then when she realized her first choice wasn't going to work out, then she was like, oh, no, actually, I do like you. I do like you. But, like, that's a crappy thing to do to someone, too, you know, to be like, you know, so, like, I I don't think it's right that he went and started another relationship, like, while he was still Like, a whole other relationship. Right, and then, like, ghosted her. Like, you can't ghost someone that you've actually been dating, right? Like, it only works in the first, like, couple of weeks. I guess, yeah. You know, you can't just, Mm -hmm. like, so that was obviously messed up and wrong, but, like, 
I don't know that I feel, you know, I kind of feel like it was just keep going a tip for a tat. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am not going to disagree with you. I felt like Izzy was playing a lot of um, apologizing. He was like on, on an apology tour and was like, that's not the person I am. That's not the person I am. At some point, it might be the person you are. Maybe you've changed. Maybe you've worked right. on yourself. Maybe that's it's not great. the person you want to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. None of us none of us want to be like this. Um, but it was funny. He was like, I just have to apologize for that. And then the next moment, he was apologizing to somebody else. And I was like, um apparently you were a little embarrassed there bucko yeah Um, yeah the other big theme that was a lot um that came up a lot was the like i guess all these people just run into each other like nonstop out in public which is like so wild to me because they were from houston which is a huge city and i feel like i never run into anyone i know like if i do it's like a shocking thing to me and i'm like oh gosh like i don't want i wasn't prepared to see you but like these people are all running into each other constantly, constantly. It was like every <laughs> week they were all like, and then where did you meet up with them? Oh, at the bar, the Houston bar. It's so small. Just on a constant rotation. Mandy, I've known you for 10 plus years. And I did run into you at Publix one time years ago. That's and we literally were literally the one time. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and that was like in an area we both lived in. So it actually should have probably happened more right. than that. But it was just the one time and they're like every weekend running into each other. It was so weird. It's wild. So yeah, so they had some like crossover, like Stacy and Izzy. They didn't really date after the show, but then they ran into each other at the bar and they had this whole big like, so great to see you moment. But then Izzy also ran into Johnny at a bar and then they, did they, what did Vanessa ask? (laughs) I don't know. I Did they to go all the way? They didn't yeah. go all the way. They are hooking up. She was like, what is hooking up these days? I was like, Vanessa, please. Calm down, Vanessa. Calm down. You know what it is. Is it? Does it mean making babies? Because that's all she cares about. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't hook up, apparently, Johnny and Izzy. They just made out in his Jeep. Oh, great. Sounds Which, wonderful. As someone who drives a Jeep, that doesn't sound very fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, how does it feel to be associated with um, Jeep culture via Izzy? Not great. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my minivan, there's no one on TV that, that drives what I do. It's it's quite, it's working out well. I'm the representative of minivan culture. There you go. <laughs> it's not going well. <laughs> You're a very good representative. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, yeah, so, so was, yeah. It was just, it was what it was. I felt like the um, reunion wasn't that exciting. Nothing about it was very exciting no. for me. I really do hope that, that uh, I hope next season is better. I need them to learn. Um, they're probably filming now. And I need the producers not to search for these people. That's the thing that kind of upset me this season is they were like on these apps looking for people or like social media very focused people they were like reaching out to them it wasn't the contestants reaching out to love is blind producers it was the opposite way and i don't think that's a real no, that's like a person yeah, looking for I it i don't like that i don't like that um so real quick though a lovely listener named emily she also is a facebook friend of mine she actually sent me a message um yesterday last night and said that we totally need to watch the Golden Bachelor. I Have saw you somebody tag us in that. I've um, and I've recap it. She said older women may be um, more dramatic than millennials, so we'll see. Really? Maybe there's like older people on there. So do you know what that's it is? What we should check out next. Do you know what it is though? It's like a guy. I think his name is Gary or Jerry. I can't remember. And he's like maybe seventy something like that. And so all oh. the women are age appropriate. I mean whatever okay i feel like i'm want. totally in to watch that right okay let's do that there's only we three should episodes do that. yeah so love is blind is for the young the young crowd i feel like everyone on love is blind is definitely under 30 and they make a huge deal out of it if they're over 30 which i'm like oh, calm goodness. down like, yeah tr- nobody's no. representing my age on that show but exactly. i would be a young buck on uh no the kidding Bachelor. i know be so i don't know maybe we won't be able to relate to their problems either but I feel like I'll be closer. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> it's a lot of like knee pain. It, well, I, I saw like one thing or I heard something about them like driving around how terrified they all were to drive in like California truck. You know, like it was very much more relatable than like 
hot girl everything. So um, I can get on board with that. So let us know if you guys yeah. want us to recap it. I think we should. I think it the would Golden be a lot Bachelor. of fun. Golden Bachelor. I've mm-hmm. never even heard of it. So I got to figure out where I can watch it. And ABC. I'm definitely interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah. It'll be great. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, that was the episode for this week. Thank you for listening. We will be back next week. Same time, same place, new story. Have a great week. Bye.